Good evening, Sangha. As I sit here with you, I have the feeling of being within a great cathedral. Like a three cathedral with a lot of pollen. <laughs> Which for me means a lot of sneezing. <laughs> the best kind of cathedral. Mm. So you have all heard enough Dharma talks that you know that there are different kinds of Dharma talks. And sometimes we teach on specific lists. Sometimes we pull out a specific sutta. And sometimes we teach about something that's personally alive for us. And uh, I'm going to be teaching from what's alive for me with you here this evening. And my talk is kind of uh, woven together more than a linear bullet point talk. So just uh, be in the flow with me. And I want to share with you some of my journey since uh, I fell <laughs> on May 13th. And the reason I want to share this with you is that it just continues to be such a profound teaching for me uh, every day. The Dhamma of right where I am within this, this experience, it's still uh, teaching me. And I'm going to talk some about my experience of uh, breaking bones but I want to be really clear that I'm, that I'm using this as more than Aaron fell and broke her tibia and fibula because breaking bones is like a metaphor, isn't it? And I'll say more about that. Um, because we can break bones physically. Many of you here in the room have broken bones, including the ones that, that have been broken in my own body. Um, and many of you um, are here with what might feel like different kinds of breaks. Heartbreak is a certain kind of break. Um, the kind of um, ways that communities fracture and the suffering that can come from that, that's another kind of break. The, the, the kinds of loss and grief that may be involved with getting a diagnosis that you don't want or losing someone you love, or having a change in a relationship, or just how it is to be a citizen of the planet at this time. And that, that can be a complex process for our hearts. And I want to be clear that, you know, what I'm sharing is not this Pollyanna-ish idea that everything breaks, heals completely, and life is good, and we go on. We know that's not the state of our world. We know that's not true collectively or systemically. And the Buddhist path is one that invites us to turn toward our suffering because um, that experience of stress and tension and suffering is a place that can bring forth goodness, right? It can bring forth goodness if we let it. And at the core, like at the core of the path, sure, suffering sucks. Like we, nobody wants to be suffering. And this is the vehicle that gives rise to deepened, to deepened compassion. This is the vehicle that gives rise to uh, a deeper way of living. And you may know those times in your life when the experience of dukkha is like not just something kind of you're working with theoretically, but it's just front and center, right? We all have these times we go through where there's just a sense of like, 
wow, this is, this is so real. And when you shared your altar objects yesterday, I was so moved knowing that there were so many stories inside of the, of the moment or so that you each spoke to the room. You know, knowing that there are so many, uh, that there's so much more inside of the events that rest on our altar together. And that just the small pieces you shared have become part of the medicine you carry, have become part of, you know, the, um, the twists and turns of this life that makes you who, who you are. So I'm going to share with you a little bit of my story which is that on May 13th, I got up in the middle of the night to use the restroom, which I do sometimes. <laughs> and I was in my own house, right? In a room I know really well, in my, own, in my own beloved home, doing something I've done thousands of times before. And as I got up and started walking, you know, usually if I stumble a little bit when I'm hiking or something, my ankle, it inverts. It goes like this. That's usually what happens with ankles. But for some reason, my ankle everted. And so I landed, like, it turned in a way where I, the, force, the force went right into my tibia and fibula. So it was, it was a kind of a strange way to fall. We lost you. Oh. Yeah, you did. Th- thanks. Okay. Did you hear the last part? Okay. My ankle um, everted, so it turned like this. And it was a, it was a strange um, way to fall. And as a result of the, just the pressure... And the power of the fall, um, my bones broke a bit. And it's just one of these moments, you know, we all have these moments where it's like, uh, this keeps going out. So I think I'm going to try Brian's mic instead. Thanks, Cal. Mm All right, this is on, right? Okay, just let me know if it keeps going out. So, you know, we, ha- we all have these moments, right, where there's, life appears to be going in one direction and then something happens and there's a sense of, oh, it's not going in the direction I thought. This is completely, completely unexpected. And so, you know, when we say anything can happen at any time, which we can know, it, we can know superficially or we can know in the marrow of who we are, there was just a sense for me of, okay, really, anything can happen at any time, and for me, this is entirely workable. I have had the great good fortune for most of my life to be able to do most of what I want to in my body. Um, and my schedule's different. <laughs> things take a lot more time. Uh, things take resources moving through this bone healing. But uh, bones heal, and I know that this experience is a passage that, that I won't forget and that is shaping me from a place uh, deep, deep within. So after I fell, um, a bunch of things happened that resulted in my friend saying, Aaron, you've got to go to the emergency room. And uh, a wise friend uh, coming over because I live alone and taking me into the emergency room where I got in immediately. And, uh, you know, they did an x-ray and said, oh yeah, you have a type B Weber fracture. And uh, you need to go see the orthopedic doctor on Monday. And, and I really didn't realize at first how hurt I was. I thought, no, this is just a little sprain. You know, this is, I'm going to get over this in a couple of days. It'll be fine. I'll just ice it. The swelling will go down. And the ER doctor said, you got you to see this um, 
this uh, orthopedic surgeon on Monday, and I just kept thinking it was kind of going to be no big deal, which wasn't true. And I happened to have a neighbor upstairs who's a retired physical therapist, and she's a beautiful Dama woman. She practices here at Vallecitos. And I was laying in my bed with my leg up, and by that time, I think it was, I'd already gone to see the doctor. It was like Tuesday. And, and she came downstairs, and, and she, I said, well, maybe I'll be able to drive this week. You know, just give it a few more days. Mm-hmm. And uh, she just said, Erin, you have got to stop. You have got to stop completely. You know, you have got to stop. And there was so much love in it, but she was pointing her finger at me, <laughs> kind of in my face. And she said, don't you get it? Stop thinking you can drive. Because they, they didn't say I couldn't drive. There's no way it would be safe to drive. <laughs> um, she said, stop. And I, what I could see is that I needed it explained to me on that level. The medical system couldn't explain it to me on that level, but a Dhamma friend could. And um, stopping on the level I've had to stop is pretty at odds with my self-image. I come from the self-reliant world of Fargo, North Dakota. I come from a family where um, vulnerability is completely to be avoided. You know, I run multiple organizations. I'm a really active person. And it went, it was kind of at odds with my image of myself. And I was so glad she told me to stop. And I I heard her, you know. And, you know, my body has stopped me in a certain way. And you being here, you may not be stopped, but you're paused. You are... um, Paused, and when we pause and come into this kind of Dhamma field, we really do open to new ways of seeing, to new ways of being, and new ways of, of perceiving, because our habitual ways of going about the motions can begin to settle and make room for that which remains. Can make room for really a deeper flow of, of reality. And so we pause to see and know the energy, the momentum of, of the patterning, of the sankharic stream, of the programming that gets laid down. We come to know the um, anatomy of the scaffolding that drives and conditions our perceptions, our views, our beliefs. Whether it's that, oh... I have to earn the right to relax or taking something that's not our fault to be our fault or feeling like the odd one out. You know, we, we have so many feeling taken advantage of and overwhelmed, so many different um, ways that our primary patterning influences um, our views of reality and part of the power of the practice is that over time you know we begin to not only see from within the power of this Sankara patterning, but we begin to see through it, right? This patterning becomes a little more permeable, a little more workable, a little uh, lighter. The wisdom, it's really the wisdom, it's really the wisdom in the Panya that begins to liberate not necessarily the arising of the patterning, but our identification with it. You see this in these moments, like, oh, 
old story, I'm not good enough. I, I, I know you, I see you, Mara. Things begin to lighten. Not so much in a meditative context from addressing the content, but from seeing the nature of it. <coughs> Bless you, Robin. The nature of it. I'll get back to my story in a minute, but the work of meditation is really to see, part of the work of meditation is to be seen as the experience of becoming over and over again, the experience of uh, bhavana. So we're not just seeing, here's the content of the thought, we're seeing the nature of it. There's a returning, just such a, such a deep, deep returning. And so after, after my friend told me to stop, she said, she said, she was really going for it. She said, how would you hold a little baby? And I said, well, a little baby. I would hold a little baby with so much love and honor and reverence and gratitude and tenderness. I would hold a little baby and, and take care of everything that that little baby needed. I would hold a little baby with such, such attunement because it's such an honor to hold this child. And she said, well, your ankle's your baby, <laughs> and your cradle's your bed. <laughs> she said, if you want an optimum, optimal outcome, you make your ankle your baby, and you make your cradle your bed. And I was like, all right, I'm so busted. <laughs> I am so busted. She said, Aaron, you've got to hold your ankle the way you would a baby. And I was just like... I knew I had gotten such a Dharma transmission, really, from her. She was, she was being funny, but she meant it. She, she meant it. And it, it um, really what she was speaking to, you know, because my friends could see how hurt I was before I could. They just swept in. They all swept in. Um, what she was speaking to was my own experience of vulnerability. And you know the world, word vulnerability has gotten much more popular and much more mainstream culture these last few years, which is a good thing. You know, it's a good thing that we can um, rest in our vulnerability, know our vulnerability. But, and vulnerability can be exquisite, right? It can be so exquisite to open your heart to your vulnerability and feel and see that you're not in charge of everything, but it can also be excruciating can be excruciating to uh, want something in your life that's different than what's happening. It can be excruciating to um, feel at the mercy of conditions that are outside of your conscious control. And so it's great that we're lifting up being vulnerable. And, um, and my experience of vulnerability in this unfolding, it's, it's not woe is me. It's not being a victim of something bad happening to me. Because the thing is, is that these bones, you know, have been broken, but I am so not broken. And it's, it's profound. I'll talk more about this paradox. You know, my bones have been broken, and if anything, I am only deepening in my practice and being made more whole. There's no shake in that for me. So there can be the experience of a break happening without being broken. David White writes a lot on vulnerability. 
and this is one of his framings. He says, the only choice we have as we mature is how we inhabit our vulnerability. How we become larger and more courageous and more compassionate through our intimacy with disappearance. Our choice is to inhabit vulnerability as generous citizens of loss, robustly and fully, or conversely, as misers and complainers, reluctant and fearful, always at the gates of existence, but never bravely and completely attempting to enter, never wanting to risk ourselves, never walking fully through the door. Do you know that feeling of being just a bit held back from life? you feel that in your practice ever? Just a bit held back? I know that feeling because of really the patterning of my mother. It's really where it came from. But the thing is, we've all, like, we're all here. (laughs) So you've also all walked through the door. (laughs) Um, You've walked through the door. So I've been in this, this time of reflecting on the paradox of this time for me, that in, in the breaking is the healing. And in the broken is, is the unbroken. And paradox is such uh, profound territory in our practice because paradox throws up the conceptual mind. And that's the whole point, you know. The conceptual mind can't figure out the paradoxes of life. So and when the conceptual, conceptual mind gets thrown up, there's room for something else to arise. There's a space for that which has not yet arisen to arise or to stop arising. So it's like, you know, on one level, yeah, there's doctor appointments, there's these wonderful osteoblasts, there's resources, there's all of that. And on another level, there's just being. Like, there's really just the moments. And for me, when the actual fall happened, um, something else happened for me that I really haven't spoken about publicly, but there was something deeper that happened for me when I was talking about um, Sankaric patterning, right? Some of the primary patterning, the, um, the programming, you know, that's just part of what we work with in our practice and, and how it dissolves over time. Sometimes there are also just chunks that fall away. You've probably seen this on your own path when you have an insight and it's like, oh, I, I got it. And it's like, it can be like part of an iceberg just falling into the ocean, like a melting of sorts. Yeah, so there was, there was something that, that basically stopped happening for me. It's like, it's like that, um, that hasn't arisen again. And I'm just going to share with you a little bit of my writing. This is not from right now, but this is from the first week after, after the accident happened. Um, because I kept looking for there to be a lot of dukkha in it. Like, I would think I would experience a lot of dukkha. I would have reason to be experiencing a lot of dukkha. And if I was experiencing a lot of dukkha, that would make sense. It wasn't about trying to not experience dukkha. There just wasn't dukkha. 
I mean, there really wasn't. So as I was writing, what I wrote about it, and, and friends would see me and they said, what, what is going on in you? Like, wow, Erin. What I wrote about it is that I feel a peace moving through me, one that is spontaneous, that may not make sense in words, but that is enduring and carries the sense of some measure of culmination of my life's work so far. We plant seeds over and over again, and we never know when they come to bear fruit. And this is happening for me as a measure of grace, and mostly I'm just not interfering. I'm steady and rooted down and basking in the immense field of love holding me. I don't share these words as an idea. I share these words as a finger pointing to the moon, as a palpable presence, as the benevolence of the universe at work in the hands and hearts and love of the community that surrounds me. My home feels fresh, awake, beautiful, aware, alive, connected. And after so many years of being at the front of the room, I'm not at the front of the room. I am at the center of the room, which is the center of the circle. I am at the center of the circle I have nourished and created for 25 years at the center of a huge, vital, beating heart. And I am learning to live life with limited mobility. (laughs) I'm learning how to sleep with my ankle above my heart. I'm learning that confidence comes in waves. I'm learning how it is in the morning for me now that opening the blinds is a big deal. I've healed a lot since I wrote these words. It's not as big of a deal now. I can't open them all at once or I feel like I will faint. So I need to wake up and eat an apple and open the blinds in shifts. Sleeping in such an awkward position is like an animal trying to find their nest of comfort, but it not being quite right over and over again. It's how it is. And the thing, the healing, is that I really don't have to ask. My needs are already anticipated. This is how it is. But I share this with you because I, I don't exactly have words for, um, for how it's been. <laughs> for how it's been. And because there's been such non-suffering... I've been really noticing the rising up of suffering when it's here because the contrast is a lot. And it's been fascinating to see that the places of dukkha have had nothing to do with the experience of my ankle. Around that, there's been very, very little. The places of dukkha, it's just like actually one place in my life that I can see it arise very clearly. And I know, I know what it is, and it's so humbling, right? When it comes and just like, whew. So... This is part of the power and the mystery of path activity. And so I am talking about this is, is our path activity, that what we're doing here, we're planting seeds. And we, we, we never know. Um, we know that a seed ripens according to its nature. We know that. And so there's just a way that somehow, just all the years, all the many decades of practice, I really feel that holding me. You know, Eric Colvid 
think it was Eric, right, that talks about his practice and the years of the practice being like um, the wind beneath his wings, quite literally. And there's just kind of a feeling of the goodness of the practice in a way that is not rational for me, holding me. The ground of being, holding me. Uh, just really, really being here. Some of you know this poem by uh, Rashani, Rashani Ray called The Unbroken. There's a brokenness, again, remembering this isn't just about bones, that's just the metaphor. There's a brokenness out of which comes the unbroken. A shatteredness out of which blooms the unshatterable. There is a sorrow beyond all grief which leads to joy and a fragility out of whose depth emerges strength. There's a hollow space too vast for words through which we pass with each loss out of whose darkness we are sanctioned into being. There's a cry deeper than all sound whose serrated edges cut the heart as we break open to the place inside which is unbreakable and whole while learning to sing. Do you know this in your own heart? Do you know this in your own life? Breaking open while learning to sing? So, in the practice, it's so important to be real about dukkha, you know, and it's not, it's not, most of the time, it's not like dukkha or non-dukkha, it's more of a, um, where are you at with it all, you know, where, where are you at with it all, and on the retreat to be, which, which in, the inter- in the practice discussions today, I was so moved by just the realness of the half of the group that I saw, the, the realness, the beauty, the willingness to really turn toward the difficulties. And I was also moved by all the places where there, there was so much trust, you know, there was so much trust and metta and happiness and goodness and great, great, great confidence. And I remember the instruction of Ajahn Amaro that might be an instruction that you practice with on this retreat. Rest in the natural peace and ease that is the natural peace and ease of mind and body. Then pay attention to whatever disturbs that peace. I'm just going to read it again so you can feel it. Rest in the natural peace and ease that is the natural peace and ease of the mind and body. Then pay attention to whatever disturbs that peace, like that fly, Gary. (laughs) So including, uh, really, really including in your retreat, like opening to the peace and ease that's here. 
even the peace and ease that can be here when we're not, like Brian was talking about this morning, when we're not in contention with what's happening. I mean, you, you may know the experience of peace and ease in the moment of just great loss, you know, great heartache, peace and ease. And that's some of what the practice, the ground of what the practice offers us over time is some ground that becomes less and less shakable to um, allow the wobbles to wobble when they do. So my days are, since this has happened, it's a little bit like I've, I, I've been in such an interior space. I think because it takes so much attention to move through my home and the world on the crutches, I'm getting way better at it. I even feel way better. I was just saying to Catherine this afternoon, I'm feeling like I'm more mobile than I was when we got here on Sunday. You know, it's, it's fascinating the ways that the bone healing works. But because of the, the, inten- the attentional focus, it's, it's not unlike being on retreat. You know, just every moment. And I really cannot, those of you who have been injured know this, like I, I really, I, I can't re-break this. So it's like I, I cannot afford to be casual for much of a moment. And so, and so it's just this feeling of... Um, the presence, the focus, and then the gratitude, the immeasurable gratitude for the Sangha and the power of path activity. The power of path activity. And so, you know, just for you to celebrate your path activity today. You know, when you when you lay down later on this evening after we do the chanting and the water ceremony, um, just take some time to <clears throat> reflect on your wholesome deeds. And I, I don't mean so much like, oh, I meditated this many hours today. I don't know if you've added it up in your mind yet. <laughs> Sometimes it feels like we need to because we're just enduring. But, um, you know, um, I did that one time. I sat a week-long retreat and I added it up and I told my mother. <laughs> she said, you'll never have to do that again, Erin. <laughs> here I am. Um, but you meditated a lot today. But just to, to feel the momentum of the path activity, because it's like uh, sitting in the lap of something really wholesome, great goodness, really, um, really deeply, deeply onward leading. And so as, as mature practitioners, this is some of what we're invited to do, is to be in touch with um, the beneficial energy in this way. And to know the difference that our path activity makes. I don't know of a, of a better um, way to show up for a good, a good life and a good death than, than this practice. And just appreciating that, you know, like it's like one of Pema's earlier books for when things fall apart. It's, it's, uh, it's unavoidable in these universal life passages. And that we're practicing for more than emotional comfort. Emotional comfort's great, but we're actually practicing for freedom. We're practicing for the sure heart's release. (laughs) The kind of intimacy that arises when there's nothing in the way.
the Buddha, you know, this, this, um, these, um, translations are what they are, but, you know, the metaphor of an island that we cannot go beyond is used. I love this metaphor. The island that you cannot go beyond. The translation is this. There is an island. An island which you cannot go beyond. It's a place of no thingness. It's a place of non-possession and of non-attachment. It's the total end of death and decay. And this is why I call it Nibbana. The extinguishing. And just to keep fresh in our hearts that this is the power and promise of, the, of this path. And that there is a Nibbana dimension. <laughs> there is a Nibbana dimension in the nature of our heart minds is that we are, we are able to realize this through the practice. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.